Amen, amen. Man, this is a treat for me. Um, as, as Matt has uh, already said, we go way back. And uh, when you go way back with Matt, <laughs> there are, there's an a, a unending well of stories and inside jokes and just laughter and craziness that goes with it. Um, but Matt has been a true friend through the years. And, and, and I, we was talking last night at Waffle House. And it's a sad, but it's, 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 a, it's a sad reality. It's true that ministry can be one of the loneliest places in the world. And, and, and I believe it's like that because as, as ministers, as pastors, you, you have to be very selective with who you're friends with. And, and, and I know that to you might be thinking like, well, Pastor Matt's my friend, and, and yes, he is. But, but as a pastor, you have to be very selective because there's, it's a lonely place. It's a lonely place, but Matt has been one of those friends through the years. He's been consistent and has been a good friend to me. I actually interned under Matt. Uh, my very first church I ever, ever uh, was on staff at, Matt was the youth pastor, and I came in as an intern. And basically, I didn't know what I was doing. And I, just like, I was just like a lost puppy, like, what do I do now, Matt? And he just kind of pointed me in the directions on what I needed to do and where I needed to go. And Matt eventually went off to seminary, and I, I became the youth pastor at this church. And that was the beginning of my, my ministry career. And so that was, I think, in 2006. And so that's been around 12 years ago that my, my ministry has begun, and that it started with Matt. And so when he says that we're friends, yeah, we're friends. Uh, we carpooled together. We used to drive an hour and 15 minutes to school, uh, and then we go to school all day and drive an hour and 15 minutes back. And those hour and 15 minute car rides were the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> like the things that would be talked about and the, the jokes that would be made was just so off the wall, and I would never, ever trade those days for anything. And so I'm, I'm very appreciative for Matt, and I, I'm just so excited for the work that, that God's doing through him here at the Journey Church. Um, I'd keep up with you guys, and I see what's going on. Man, I just love I just love what God's doing here in Hartsville, Tennessee. As he said, I'm from I'm Coleman, Alabama. So um, if you know anything about Alabama, we're about 45 minutes north of Birmingham, about 45 minutes south of Huntsville. We're kind of like right in the middle there. Um, exit 310 on I-65, that's where we're at. And uh, we, I've been there for about two and a half years. I came from Panama City, and so now we're at a little county there in Coleman. And I love it. I love the opportunity God has provided for me there as well. Uh, so t- today, what we're going to be doing, go ahead and get your Bibles. I hope you have them. We'll get them primed and open to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And um, we're going to be kind of there to begin with, and then we'll jump to another couple of scriptures. Um, but my, my message for you this morning is, is entitled simply, Next Steps. And as, as you're in this series of forward, going forward, here's the thing. If you're going to move forward, guess what you got to do? You got to take some steps. And, and if you're going to take some steps, you need to know what those steps are. And so I'm going to try to encourage you and help you this morning and maybe enlighten some of you and challenge you that there, everybody in this room, here's the reality, everybody in this room has a next step. Now that next step is different. Your next step may be different from their next step, and your next step may be different from their next step, but everybody in here in your walk with the Lord has a next step. And, and you know what that might be, or maybe you're kind of here right now, and you're like, I really don't know what my next step is. And so I'm hoping by the end of this message, you will have a, a greater understanding of what that next step looks like. So c- to kind of kick it off, I want to tell you about a story from years ago. I went to a Dollar General. Do you, y- y'all know what Dollar Generals are, right? Yeah. You know what? Um, and I hope, Matt, I hope I'm not going to offend anybody. Does anybody work for Dollar General in here? Good. I'm about to throw some shade at Dollar General. All right, so Dollar General... <laughs> 
<laughs> Dollar General is this one of those places that I, they're not ever hardly clean. And there's like always like just empty boxes in the aisles. And you're like, okay, I just gotta, you got to kind of walk around them to get to stuff. And, and the bathroom's like in the store, like the warehouse. And I always thought that was strange. I'm like, I could just steal stuff and nobody would know. I'm just like right here in the storage room. And, and so it's just always been kind of a shady, you know, a weird kind of place. But I was very sick one day. Like I had a cold and I was going around the house and I had zero cough medicine. And, and I needed the good stuff. I needed, I needed NyQuil. All right, NyQuil is the good stuff. It's that nighttime sneezing, uh, sniffing, sneezing, coughing, stuffy head. Why did I wake up in the bathtub medicine? Like it's that good, like potent stuff. And so I, I know I needed to go get some, some NyQuil. And so I drove to the Dollar General that was close to our house. And I walk in and there's an older lady with a buggy full of items standing there at the checkout line. And she's just standing there. But there's no cashier. But she's just standing there. So in my mind, I'm, I'm trying to make logic out of the situation. I'm thinking, well, maybe she needed some price checks or something, or maybe, I don't know, I'm thinking maybe she's getting something for this lady. And so I go around the store, and I find my NyQuil, and I come back, and I get behind line, uh, the, the line with this lady, and she's still just standing with her buggy, no cashier. And so I'm thinking, this is very strange. So I stand there for about 35, 40 seconds, and finally I, I ask her, I said, where's the cashier? And she says, I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody. I'm like, wait a minute. You've been standing here this whole time and you haven't seen anybody? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, how long have you been here? She's like, oh, look, 10 minutes. I'm like, you've been standing here for like 10 minutes and there's been nobody in the store? Like, first of all, I would have been like, here's a 20, bye. You know, I'd have been like out the door. But she's been standing there this whole time just waiting for something to happen. And so I'm not that patient and I was not feeling well and I wanted to get home. So I take action. You know, I, I do what I think needs to be done. And so I look over the, the, the checkout line thing, and there's a phone. And on that phone, there's a button that says intercom. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I grab the phone, and I pick it up. And I'm like, <laughs> to the Dollar General employees, you have two customers up front of the checkout line that would like to be checked out, please. <laughs> and I hung up the phone. And now I'm waiting. And nothing happens. There's no employees coming. And now I'm, now I'm beginning to like, freak out a little bit. I'm thinking, they've been robbed. Like, that's my mind. My mind instantly goes like, from here to here. I'm thinking, they're tied up somewhere. And they're not able to get loose. And so I, I get back on the intercom. And I pick it up. And I, I go, it has just occurred to me that you may have been robbed. If you are tied up somewhere, make noise. We will come free you, and then you can check us out. And I hung up the phone. And about 10 seconds after that comes an employee running just across the aisles. And she comes, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then she comes, and she gets behind the cash register, and she says, can I help you? And the lady in front of me is like, you can help him first. And so I'm like, all right, thank you. And I just go, and I pay for my stuff, and I get out of there. And I get home, and I, you know, I'm looking back on this whole situation. I'm like, man, that's so funny, like how people are, how they just act that way. And, and then the Lord spoke something into me. He spoke a truth that, that really kind of sums up our Christian walk. I was thinking about this, and the Lord said, you know, that's how many Christians act. We just kind of stand around waiting on God to do something when he has already told us to take action, where he's already given us next steps. But we're just patiently waiting, like, okay, God, Anytime, just move, just do something. He's like, I've already told you to do something. I've already told you to act. I've already told you to take your next step. But we kind of just wait around, waiting for the Lord to do something. We think that's spiritual. 
waiting on the Lord. We do think that's spiritual, and sometimes you do wait on the Lord, but the reality is there's a lot of times where he's just waiting you for take the initiative to take the next step. And, and so if you're in a pursuit of God and you're trying to do what he's asking you to do, there's going to be moments where you're going to have to take initiative and take a step. And there's going to be times where you're going to take blind steps of faith, which are the scariest steps to take. But there's going to be moments where you're going to be required to do something other than just wait. Does that make sense? So in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, it says, While walking, I'll, get, I'll let you get there, Matthew 4, 18. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So something about reading the Bible, you have to put it in context. There's, there's other things that, because that, we're, we're so programmed to read things in our 21st century American mind that we kind of miss some details. And if you really want to kind of understand what's going on here, you have to put it in the cultural context of what's, being, what's, what's, what's happening at this moment. So Jesus is calling these fishermen. We see that. But there's a greater truth behind this. Because Jesus is now playing the role of a rabbi calling his disciples. He's, he's now taking the role of a great master teacher, and he's choosing his disciples. And why this is such a big deal is because of the Jewish structure of education when it comes to disciples and rabbis. So let me give you uh, kind of a rundown of what the education system was like in that, in that culture. They had three tiers of education for children that would like to become a disciple and eventually become a rabbi. It starts with Beit Sefer. Beit Sefer. And this is between ages 6 and 10. So at the age, I'm sorry, ages, yeah, six to 10, they would enroll into this school called Beit Sefer, which simply translate as house of the book. And at, from ages six to 10, they would memorize scripture. In fact, by the age of 10, they would have memorized the entire Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Now think about that at 10 years old. Like how many of y'all ever did RAs, GAs, or Awanas, anything like that? Remember when you like memorize scripture and like, here's your here's your badger badge. And like they put like a little thing on there like because you memorized John 3.16. If you memorized the first five books of the Bible, you'd like General Patton. You'd just be up there like just ribbons and a purple heart and everything else. Like that would be so impressive for that context. But here's the thing. That was just normal education. By ages six to 10, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. But here's the thing. There's some kids that just didn't have what it took. They didn't, they were not the best of the best. And so what would happen is they would be approached and said, listen, you're a smart kid. You obviously love the word and you love the Lord, but you just don't have what it takes, so go home and learn the family trade. And so they would leave. But the best of the best would then move up to the next tier of education, which was called Beit Talmud. Now, Beit Talmud simply translates to house of the law. During this time, they would really get into like Levitical law and the other parts of the Bible that dealt with how, the, how you should live as a, as a Jewish person and, and all these things. And basically... The best of the best would move on to this tier of education. And by the age of 14, they would have memorized the Hebrew scriptures in entirety. All the Hebrew scriptures in entirety by the age of 14. That's impressive. But still, there were some who didn't have what it took. And so there were some that were told, listen, you're smart. You love the Lord. You obviously love the word, but you just don't have what it takes. So why don't you go home and learn the family trade? But the best of the best moved on. 
and they went to the final uh, area, which is Beit Midrash. And Beit Midrash means house of learning. In the house of learning, basically the 14-year-old boy would present himself to the rabbi, and the rabbi would begin to question this kid begin to ask him questions pertaining to the book of the Bi- uh, to a book of the Bible or begin to question him against uh, things about the law and he would begin to give him uh, like scenarios like what would you do in this scenario if this happened and he would begin to quiz him and, 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 che- and check his intellectual ability and if the rabbi looked at him and says you know what I think I, this kid can do what I do see a rabbi's teachings were called his yoke and he says I, I think I could put my yoke upon him and he says, I, I believe this kid has got what, he, what I need for, for a disciple. And he would say to that kid, follow me. Which simply translates, lek akari. He said, follow me. Now this is beautiful because that's exactly what Jesus says to these fishermen, right? Follow me. But if these kids, these 14-year-old kids, they didn't have what it had, if they didn't have what it took and they, they're not the best of the best, the rabbi would simply say, listen, I know you've come this far. I know that you love the Lord and you love the word, but you just don't have what it takes to follow me to be one of my disciples. So why don't you go home and learn a family trade? And that's what they would tell them. And they would go home, and their family trade might be in, 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 in making different types of fabric or dyeing fabric or maybe farming or maybe agriculture or maybe some type of fisher, fisherman job. And here's why it's so beautiful. It's because Jesus approaches these guys who are fishing. What are they doing? The family trade. They were the rejects. They were the B team. They're the ones that couldn't make it. They're the ones that didn't have what it took. They were not the best of the best. But Jesus walks up to these people and he sees them fishing. And you know what he's thinking? They can do what I can do. They have what it takes. They can be my disciples. And so he tells them, follow me. This is wonderful. Because this is what this, this gives me hope. That even though I'm a reject, and even though I don't have it all together, and even though I don't have the entire Old Testament memorized, Jesus looks at me and he says, Andrew, you can do what I can do. Follow me. And, and I love this, and I hope it encourages you to realize that you don't have to have it all together to be a follower of Jesus. Like, you can have skeletons in the closet, and you can have baggage, and you can have a history, but Jesus still looks at you and he says, follow me. But there's this one thing that these, these men did have. Even though they didn't have all the qualifications, even though they didn't have all the certifications, this is what they did have, availability. Because when he said, follow me, what did they do? Immediately, they dropped their nets and followed him. They were available. I want to encourage you that he will make you into what you need to be. I hate having conversations with people and they say, you know what, I'll give my life to the Lord once I get some things figured out. I'm like, that's like going to a doctor after the bone has healed, right? Like, like just hanging, like, when it gets better, I'll go to the doctor. No, you go to the doctor and let him fix it, and then everything will be better. But many times, that's how our mind works. I'm gonna, I gotta wait. There's some things in my life that are kind of dysfunctional right now, and after I get that figured out, then I'll pursue Christ more, more religiously. I'm like, no, you, he will make you into what you need to be. When he saw these fishermen, they did not have all the qualifications, but he just simply said, follow me. Just follow me. See, Christianity is not just simply about saying a prayer to get out of hell, because that's usually how we use our Christianity card. It's, it's, it's fire insurance. That's what we view Christianity as, a way to get out of hell. But this is what Christianity is about. It's about fully surrendering to Jesus every day, one step at a time. So Christianity is not so much about what we've done, but rather what we're becoming. 
Do you understand that? It's not who we, we, we were at one time, but it's who we are becoming. And we're becoming like Christ. Jesus looks for availability. And if you're going to be following Christ, you can't stay the same. See, we make Christianity be out, to be something very difficult. Like we, it's like this rules of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, tie this much, go to the church this often. And we make it a list of do's and don'ts, but Christianity is not that. You know what Christianity is? It's simply taking one step at a time following Jesus. Just one step at a time. It's nothing complicated. It's just one step at a time. When he says, follow me, you're just following him one step at a time. And everybody has a next step. And your next step is different than somebody else's step, but everybody has a next step. And it's simply just submitting day in, day out, one step at a time. So what is your next step? Where is Jesus trying to take you? What is he trying to make you be? In, in these towns and these cities, as these disciples and rabbis would travel, there was a saying that would circulate. And they would find these disciples, and this is what they would tell the disciples. They would look at the disciples, and they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That means that may you walk so closely to your rabbi that when he walks and he kicks up the dust, that it gets covered all over you. And so simply saying this to you tonight, or this morning, if you're going to follow Jesus, may you follow him so closely that the dust of his feet covers you. Follow him one step at a time. There's something that has always bothered me about church folks. Church folks, you know church folks. This is what has bothered me. Is I know there's people in our church where we're at right now at Temple that have been saved for 30 years. They got saved when they were 15 years old. Been saved 30, 40 years. But spiritually, they're still 15 years old. They have not grown they're the same at, at, at 50 years old as they were at 15 years old. There's been no change. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't stay the same. Because when you follow Jesus, if you're going to follow something, you know what that requires? Movement. <laughs> you can't follow something if you're not moving. And so if Jesus is telling you to follow me, you can't be like, in a minute, <laughs> like, I'll just wait up for me. No, you have to take some steps. You have to follow him. Every single one of us has a next step in this place. Look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Starting in verse 10, it says this that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is what I want to do. I love Paul. I love Paul. Man, he, he is the, like a hero of the faith to me. He was a dynamic preacher, a dynamic church planter and evangelist. But before all of that, he was a persecutor and a murderer. 
And then we see this radical change in Paul's life. And this is what I love about that, is that you see him fully commit day in and day out, taking next steps to follow God more effectively. He took this step, and then he would take this step, and then he would go to this city, then he would go to this city. And every day, he took a step following Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is impressive. This guy is a hero of the faith. But in, this verse, in these verses, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't have it all figured out. And I haven't arrived yet. I still have a long ways to go. And the temptation for us is to think, I'm doing pretty good. I can coast a little bit. I'm okay. I'm all right where I'm at. I'm better than I was. And the temptation is to get complacent in our walk. That is the temptation. But here's Paul, this dynamic man of God. He's saying, I still have a long ways to go. Every day I'm still taking steps. And every day I'm still pushing in and I'm pressing forward and I'm, I'm still trying to be what he wants me to be and I still haven't obtained that yet. And I'm still trying and I'm still pushing and I'm still moving and I'm still following but I'm still not where I need to be. Just because someone has been in church for 30 years doesn't mean that they have arrived. Listen, I pray that God burdens our hearts so much that we never get complacent, that we never get to a place where we're satisfied. There is so much, so much in God that we have not experienced yet. Don't get complacent with the little because there's a lot he still wants to show you. Press in and press on and keep moving. There's a big difference too between attending church and following God. There's a big difference between attending church and following God because some people will fall in love with mission trips and some people will fall in love with worshiping and fall in love with hanging out and fellowshipping with friends and people will fall in, fall in love with having another adult to talk about stuff with. And in summary, here's what happens is they fall in love with the church but they don't fall in love with God. Make sure your affections are in check. Who are you loving this morning? But here, here's... <laughs> Here's a sad reality is um, many of us, when it comes to taking action, we're like that little old lady at the grocery store, just thinking, any moment now, God's going to show up and do something big, any moment, and we're just patiently waiting, just patiently waiting, and nothing's happening because we haven't taken our next step, and this next step, again, looks different. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, now, we don't have to go there, but in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 37, we see David. He's being, he's being kind of told by King Saul that he's too young and he's too small to fight the giant Goliath. And, 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 and David is not having it. He tells Saul, he's like, man, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear and I'm about to go whoop up on this Philistine too. And so David has, he's not having it. And David goes, and in verse 17, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 17, verse 40, David goes and he picks up five smooth stones. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize this text, but I think it's something, something unique why I would mention five smooth stones. See, I don't believe David picked up extra stones because he thought he was going to miss. I don't think he put one in his pocket, like, just in case I missed the first one, I want to have another backup one. I believe there's significance on why he picked up these stones, because later on, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 21, you read that there's four giants that were killed in a battle. These four giants were the sons of Goliath. Goliath and his four sons. David picked up five stones. I believe what is happening here is David is saying, I'm about to take my step. And if I slay that Goliath, 
and another one comes at me, I'm going to take another step, and I'm going to get him too. And if another one comes out, I'm going to get him too. Here's what I believe is David was ready to take the steps necessary to do what was called upon him. And some of us need to realize that there's some stones in our life that we need to pick up. And there's some steps that we need to take. What is it in your life right now that you need to do? What step is it that you need to take? What stone is it that you need to pick up? Maybe, maybe your next step is this. You need to surrender to Jesus. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you've heard the gospel over and over again. And your next step is fully surrendering to Jesus. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is baptism. Maybe your next step is forgiving someone. Do you realize that if you're being disobedient and not moving, you're not growing? And if you want to grow spiritually, you have to move. So maybe there's some unforgiveness you're harboring in your heart that you, you need to go to someone and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you. And maybe, maybe then after that forgiveness has been offered, then you can begin to grow again and start taking more steps. Maybe your next step is to stop crossing physical boundaries with someone you're not married to. Maybe it's if you're going to act like you're married, maybe you should go ahead and get married. I'm a visitor here, so if you don't like that, I don't have to come back, but that's fine. <laughs> but here's the reality. There's some next steps that we need to take in our, in our walk with the Lord. How are you going to grow if you're living in sin? How are you going to grow spiritually if there's some things going on in your life that's not okay with God? And so maybe your next step is for repentance. Maybe your next step is to teenagers end an ungodly dating relationship. I, I make my teenagers, uh, I, I challenge them all the time to make a list of deposits and withdrawals. I say put across the top, deposit and withdrawal, and then make a list of people and put them in those columns. Who's a deposit in my life? Who's making deposits in my life? And who's making withdrawals from my life? And maybe that's something we need to do is get alone with God and say, God, who's, take, who's doing withdrawals in my life? Who do I need to get out of my life because they're pulling me away rather than in building me up? And so maybe we need to start ending some relationships. Maybe that's our next big step. Maybe our next big step is to control our temper and stop using excuses like, you know, that's just the way I am. I punch holes in walls and I, you know, kick a cat every now and then, but that's just who I am. Maybe, maybe God is not okay with that. He's saying you need to control your anger. Maybe you need to find some help with your emotional responses. Maybe your next step is to stop your gossip habit and camouflaging it as prayer requests. <laughs> Y'all pray for Susie and Mark. They're getting a divorce. Did you hear what she did? I know how we operate, all right? I've been in the church world long enough. I know how we do. Okay, so maybe our next step is to say, God, forgive me for my gossiping, but maybe that is something God is dealing with you. But here's the thing. Are you ready for this? As I'm talking about next steps, many of you already know what that next step is. You've already thought about it. You know exactly what that next step is. God has put his finger on it. This is what you need to do. This is what I've been asking you to do. And you've been living like this. Okay, God, move anytime. He's, he's been living like this. Not until you move. Not until you take that step. What are we going to do now? You know, there's some reasons why we don't take a step. There's some reasons why we don't take our next step. I'm going to give you some reasons. One of the reasons we don't take our next step is because of prayer. And you're like, that's weird. <laughs> like, when is prayer ever a bad thing, right? But here's what we do. Sometimes we use prayer as an excuse for inactivity. We're afraid to act, so we use the idea of waiting on God. 
Sometimes we'd rather pray than obey. Hey, man, so uh, you going to uh, break up with your girlfriend? I'm praying about it, but it's not a healthy relationship, and y'all are doing things you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I'm praying about it. Well, you don't have to pray about those kind of things. If there's things that's going on in your life that's going against God's word, believe me, you don't have to pray about if it's okay or not. Hey, man, you going to go on a mission trip this year? I'm praying about it. I don't think God's going to get angry if you go tell people about Jesus. Like, if you, if you go overseas and tell somebody about Jesus, like, I didn't tell you to do that. Like, I don't think that's how he's going to act. There's some things that we don't have to pray about. We have freedom to operate within his sovereignty. And so there's some things that I believe that, that we disguise as prayer, but the reality is we just don't want to do it. And so we just, I'm just praying about it. But you know what you need to do. I can't tell you the amount of times that someone has come to me asking for me to pray for their mom or their dad or their sister or brother that they would come to know Jesus. And I love doing it. I will pray for them. But there's this one occasion where I had this individual that would come up to me every time he saw me. He would say this, pray that my dad gets saved. Pray that my dad gets saved. And so one day I asked him, I said, hey man, have you ever shared the gospel with your dad? He's like, no, no, that's scary. I can't do that. I'm like, wait a minute. You want me to pray that your dad gets saved, but you're not even telling your dad about the gospel? So how's it going to happen? And so then I said, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray that God gives you the boldness to tell your dad the gospel. Sometimes we know that we need to tell somebody about Jesus, but we just pray about it. Pray that somebody comes and tell them about Jesus. Why don't you tell them about Jesus? Because eh, I'm scared. <laughs> pray that somebody else other than me tells them about Jesus so sometimes we avoid doing things simply out of prayer we would rather pray than obey here's the thing I love my daughter Addison my little girl love her to death but if I told her to go clean her room and she just stands there in the middle of the room and just asks me do you really want me to clean my room I'm like yeah I want you to clean your room he's like dad but do you really want me to clean my room yeah, I want you to clean your room. But that's how we act with God, isn't it? God tells us to do something. We're like, but do you really want me to do it? Like, yeah, I've told you plainly in scripture what I want you to do. But like, but do you really? I'm praying about it, God. Do you really want me? Yes, yes, I do. So don't use prayer as an excuse of inactivity. Second reason is disobedience. We're called to be God's faithful followers and faithfulness is determined by how we obey God. So here's the thing. If you're disobeying him, then things ain't gonna work out. And can I tell you this? God's, God's stance on sin never changes. You cannot live in disobedience and expect God to be okay with it. And I don't care what you do to try to cancel it out. I go to church every Sunday and I pay my tithe and I do this and I do that. All I have is this one little habit, this one little thing that I do. Other than that, my life is good. Do you realize that if I, drink, uh, if I eat a big old Big Mac and I drink a Diet Coke, those things don't cancel each other out? Like, that 1,100-calorie Big Mac is sitting in my gut, and I can drink all the Diet Coke I want. It's not going to somehow cancel the calories. I wish it would, but it doesn't. But this is how we live. We think, if I do enough good things, it will cancel out the bad things, and that way God will be okay with it. But God's view on sin never changes. You cannot live in disobedience and expect to grow in God. That seems like a duh statement, but sometimes we need to hear it. Sometimes we need to understand that you cannot live in sin and God be okay with it and expect to grow in his, in his uh, word. All right, procrastination. It's another reason. 
Procrastination is the assassination of God's plan for your life. Procrastination is, is the assassination of God's plan for your life. And so if you want to follow God, there will always be that voice saying, you can do it later. You don't have to do it right now. Another time will be fine. See, let me ask you. Let me ask you, is, do you believe that delayed obedience is still disobedience? Because I do. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. No matter how you try to sugarcoat it, delayed obedience, if you don't do it when God's timing, you're just not really doing it when he wants and you're not, therefore you're not obeying him. Let me ask you a simple question. If you take notes, write this down. Because this is a powerful question that has rocked me. What would you be willing to attempt for God if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you be willing to attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? Man, doesn't that just open up the horizons? All of a sudden you start thinking bigger and you're like, oh my gosh. That's what it's like living in his purpose and his will for your life. When you're living in his purpose and his will for your life, you won't fail because you're doing exactly what he wants. You can't let your past dictate your future. That's another reason why we don't grow is because we think that we're not good enough. And here's what happens is we, we, we use, we, we, we allow what used to defeat us to define us. And we don't let it go. And so we live in the regrets of our past and we think that somehow God can't use us anymore because of all the things we've done. Here's the thing. The only person concerned with your past is you. Don't use as a, an excuse to not pursue God and take your next steps. Don't, don't use that as like, God, but you don't know what I've done. All the things I've, I've, I've done in my life, you, how can you use somebody like me? He don't care. Just take that next step. Just take the, the step after that one. And the step is simply following Jesus one step at a time. What is your next step? What is it? You know what it is. In Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, It says, <laughs> my two favorite words in a sentence ever, very first two words, but God, but God. All before this is, is, is basically Paul talking and he's, he's writing about all the things that the sons of disobedience and, and following the things of this world and everything else. And then all of a sudden he gets to verse four, he says, but God. See, here's the thing. Everybody in this room has a but God. I was a womanizer once, but God. I was an addict once, but God. I was a lazy bum once, but God. I mean, we can fill it, whatever you want to fill it in, but God. See, everybody has a but God in their life. You used to be this, but God. What else does he say? And continuing on, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What I love about this is it says that God being rich in mercy. There's two types of rich people, just two. Two types of rich people. There's, there's like the rapper rich that's got like three Rolexes that's on each of different time zones. Like, this is what time it is in Japan. You're like, why? You know, like, but they have like three different watches and Rolexes and they drive a Bentley and they're wearing like, like a suit made from an albino tiger. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, they're putting their wealth on display because they want people to know that they're rich. And then you have rich like Steve Jobs. 
that wears a turtleneck and like Nike shoes and a shirt and he's worth billions and billions of dollars. But nobody knows it. If you walk on, uh, look at him in the street, you wouldn't know that he was worth billions and billions of dollars. He kind of keeps his wealth kind of hidden. He don't put it on display. So there's just really two types of rich people. Do you know what kind of rich person God is? He's like rapper rich. <laughs> what I mean by that, he puts his wealth on display. In Psalms, it tells us the heavens declare his glory. You know what he's doing? He's saying, look what I can do. And he sprinkles the stars in the sky. Nature tells of his existence. You know why? Because he said, I'm going to put a sunrise over here. I'm going to put a sunset over here. I'm going to put my glory on display because that's just how rich in glory and mercy that I am. He wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. And here's the thing. He, he is desperately calling out to you right now. He's saying, I want you to know me. That's why I put this stuff into motion. That's why I've purposed you. That's why I created you. It's so that you could know me. His wealth is trying to point you to him and we're holding the buggy waiting God what do you want me to do next he's saying I want you to know me better I want you to grow and I want you to take steps closer to me I want to have a relationship with you I want to be an intimate relationship with you that we can communicate with each other and he's putting his wealth on display for you so you can know him There's just two types of rich people, and God is showing off just for you. Isn't that incredible? Here's the thing. Many of us are going to die. All of us are going to die. Matter of fact, they did a study on that. Um, all of us are going to die one day, and we're going to be known for something. What do you want to be known for? I, I got kind of, uh, I kind of, God showed me something one day. Are y'all familiar with Lazarus in the Bible? Lazarus died. Jesus resurrected him. It's a great story. How many children did Lazarus have? Was Lazarus married? What did Lazarus do for a job? What did he look like? What do you know about Lazarus? Nothing. The only thing you know about Lazarus is what Jesus did in his life. <laughs> Isn't that how you want to be known for? And all I remember about Matt is this man how God used Matt. And all I remember about Amy is just how God just used Amy. Isn't that how you want to go down in history as someone who is not afraid to take the next steps? and how God used you mightily. Man, that's how I want to be known. I'm going to pray, and then Matt's going to come up here. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come and, and, and speak in Matt's church, this awesome church, Lord. Lord, we do love you so very much. Individuals in this room right now that are, I know they're battling right now. They know what their next steps are. Lord, here's what I pray, is that you give them the boldness and the courage to take that step. Lord, no matter how, how difficult it may look, Lord, they will be blessed by obeying you. Lord, give us the courage to not only take the next step, but the step after that one and the step after that one because these blind steps of faith are scary. But Lord, I pray that you give us boldness 
and you help us lean onto you. And Lord, that we'd no longer just be waiting around for something to happen, but we'd be a people that take action. Lord, we love you so very much. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, as we dismiss. But if, let's stand together and let's hear these words from Hebrews chapter 12. May this encourage you to go forward and take the next step. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Run and follow hard after Jesus. You're dismissed.